All right, so first things first, how are you? Great, yeah, really well. I was just told by you uh, of this little fact that, that you have some Dutch heritage in yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, my dad is Dutch. He um, was born in Woerden and he moved to Canada when he was three years old and he speaks Dutch okay. and I don't speak Dutch. <laughs> well, that's about the extent I'll ask about that, but what I find interesting now, what kind of music was played as you were growing up? Uh, my dad had great taste in music. He uh, introduced us to the Pixies and the Violent Femmes, Tom Waits, okay. who turns 73 today. <laughs> and uh, my mom was really into jazz and the Beatles. Um, so yeah, great music. And my older brother, he loved the Beastie Boys and Metallica and Led Zeppelin and metal bands like Ministry okay. and yeah, Pantera. So like a really wide range. So when you came of age, uh, kind of early teens, when, when a person starts to form their own identity, what, what struck you? What were you gravitating towards musically? I think the Pixies was the, the, the biggest influence. It's a music that um, just feels so cool um, effortlessly mm. and so unique and original and catchy but strange, uh, which is a quality that I, I really gravitate towards that's when something's weird but it's still melodic. That's interesting that you mentioned that because obviously that captures kind of the type of music that you guys make quite well. So when did that first become apparent? When did you start it? putting thoughts onto paper or kind of structuring the first first kind of uh, song? Um, I dabbled a bit in my teens in songwriting, mm -hmm. but I was more interested in guitar playing, becoming uh, quick and, and virtuosic, I suppose, was my interest. Okay. Uh, and that, um, that caused me to go to jazz school when I was 20. Yeah. But it was in jazz school when I was studying all this um, cerebral stuff that I discovered songwriting mm. in a new way. Maybe because it um, was refreshing. It was like an escape from all of the intellectual musicality. Um, and I didn't really sing, but I sang my song and it felt better than practicing scales. It felt more meaningful to write a song with words and a story. It, it felt like a, a more full encapsulation of the soul's truth than just playing guitar. Um, and so from that moment I quit school and then started writing songs and the whole path changed. It's like I must write songs. I must learn to sing because no one else is going to sing them. Must start a band and share these songs. Does some of that musical ed education, very formal musical education, I get totally why you kind of went to do something else because uh, I would assume something like studying jazz is quite rigid where the type of music that you make is very, uh, as you mentioned, catchy but strange in a sense as well. Um, but does any of your kind of the, the techniques that you learn, does that come back in the music still or no? Absolutely, yeah. I think like um, widening your vocabulary mm whether that's in language or in music, helps you speak more fully, um, more eloquently. Mm. And, and it really matters what you have to say. Um, and so, I, you know, some people believe that 
learning music theory. Um, it robs you of your originality. Mm. But I disagree. I think if you're original, you're going to be original with or without school. But vocabulary helps you to um, speak um, originally with more words, with more colors. Mm. And so it helped me a lot in songwriting because I was able to, you know, you could take a, a major chord and a minor chord and then I knew how to put a strange diminished or augmented chord in between those two chords without thinking. And so I think that lent itself to why Mother Mother was interesting at the beginning because there was all these like jazz chords and chromaticisms and, um, and strange harmony. Sure. And I think that, that's what made us stand out. Is some of, this might be, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not musically versed enough to, to know if this is a good question or not, but um, is, is that kind of perhaps what, what still entices people to the type of music? Because you have an, a whole resurgence of, the ty uh, of, of kind of the first couple of albums. Mm -hmm. um, is that because of the, the music is solid in a sense that, that there is, that as you mentioned, that you kind of had to know how, how to make something interesting? I think, you know, um, Right now, in, in, in modern culture, I think what people are craving is something that's different mm -hmm. and surprising. Because um, when, you know, when we were young, music was more a certain way. It needed to sound a certain way to be on the radio. And there was people standing at the gates, kind of like letting a certain type of music pass. But now the internet is like anarchy. And I think young people are thirsty for something that's delightfully shocking um, and different because the world is different and youth culture is different and unconventional and not fitting tidally into categories, mm. binary or sure. otherwise. And so I think the reason why our early music is connecting to these young people is because they probably, maybe even just subconsciously, connect to it being different sure. because they're different than you know the generations that have come before them from a personal perspective then how do you how do you relate to to those early couple of albums because obviously you weren't the same person back then as you are now so so how do you see those early albums and especially thematically and, and kind of the mindset that you were in at the time yeah i mean i think i have such a, a fondness for the early music and um, almost like a, a reverence mm. because, you know, my, my belief structure around creativity is that it's a bit of a, a force um, or an energy that exists around us just as much as it exists within us. And for whatever reason, we have certain chapters of our life where we're open to that energy and it comes through really easily and then it comes back out beautifully. And when I listen back, I, I hear that. And I don't know if it's just because I was like a 20-year-old discovering the world, or I was learning all these jazz chords, or I was writing songs for the first time, and it all just kind of came together to create a, a wide open passage where songs just Like, I don't, I don't remember writing them, I just remember them appearing, like okay. those first two records. And so now it's like, 
I, I can't even say I'm a better songwriter because it's harder. Yeah, I would imagine when you're conscious, especially when you're young, you're not very conscious of what you're doing at the time, and especially early on in your career. Now you're very conscious, I suppose, of, of the craft that you're in. Yeah, it's like naivety is so useful right. in creativity because like, if you don't know what you're not supposed to do, then you're going to do it, and then you're going to be courageous for doing it because you're you're breaking the rules and that's the whole that is that that is what's at the foundation of innovation is doing what you're not supposed to do mm. and so when you become educated you almost need to unlearn you need to remember to forget what you know mm. in order in order to return to that kind of like childlike naivety is that difficult to do because i can imagine once you rely on, on this, this music thing for a living, then certain other elements co uh, come in as well. So, so how do you kind of separate the job from, from the joy of it? Well, I think it, it is hard, it's the hardest thing to do to, to stay in a state of awe mm. in life, you know? Sure. And I think that's what you need to do in order for the, for the creative relationship to stay um, passionate, just like, you know, with someone. Mm. That you're that you're together with, you need to um, rekindle the spark of life, and so you do that by being present, by waking up every day and choosing to see the beauty, the miracle, the wonder, the magic, and it's a practice. Sure. And despite getting used to yourself and getting used to yourself in the world, which can often equate to becoming cynical and jaded and in the tunnel of your identity um, you have to push against that and stay young and just stay wide-eyed um, in every aspect of life and if you do that I, I find songwriting becomes more free of the thinking Mm. And this resurgence of, because obviously you couldn't envision uh, social media kind of coming in and having such an impact uh, uh, on the music, not, not on the music, but, but the spreading of your music, I suppose. Uh, so, so how do you perceive kind of this, this new world that we're in, where there used to be an old way to be in the music business, and now there's this new, new way of, as you mentioned, kind of... Uh, I, I walked past the venue just now and there's already people waiting outside. So this new kind of uh, way of reaching people and, and, and people all over the world, all different uh, walks of life. So, so how do you perceive that kind of element of what you do? Well, I think I, I and we in the band will, um, of course, see the modern way as wonderful because it has, it has so benefited us. Mm. Um, in inexplicably, it's so mysterious how Mother Mother somehow found the portal of exposure through TikTok. You can't really trace it. Sure. Um, and for that reason, uh, the, the modern realm of social media is sort of magical and really positive to us. But I, you know, I, I respect that there's also like a dark side, right, um, to social media and um, so much information being out there and, and how that can congest and, and dilute and um, create a really hard um, 
battleground for emerging artists. Um, but, so, you know, I respect that, but I, I also just think it's, it's ultimately for the better that sure. music is allowed to be free and music is allowed to be chosen by the, the audience, by the consumer, without people choosing for them, such as people at radio stations sure. um, or marketing teams. So much of the, the big marketing success happens accidentally online by kids gravitating to what they decide they like. And I think that's ultimately uh, for the better. But also what you mentioned is interesting because do you feel then, uh, and I, I believe Inside was mostly made before the whole pandemic and everything and then the kind of the, the band kind of got that attention. Well, Inside was written um, when we didn't know. Right. During the pandemic. So January of 2020, I started writing and then wrote through the beginning of the pandemic. And then once we started bringing the songs to life in the studio, still in the pandemic, that's when we started to discover the TikTok. So it was after right. we wrote it. Because I can imagine, uh, would you feel more responsibility or a sense of responsibility talking about just mentioning uh, kind of the effects of, of, of social media on our society, but also kind of the, the audience getting perhaps a little bit younger? I think. I, I mean, I believe everything happens the way it's supposed to, mm. and I'm so grateful that I didn't know about the TikTok stuff, about the young kids, while I was writing inside, because I feel like that album needed to be um, unfettered mm. of everything but the moment, because we were like in this really grim, fragile, sensitive space as a world pandemic. Yeah. So much heartache, so much struggle, and I think the writing needed to tune into that and nothing else. And it did. And, and as a byproduct, it was an album that, you know, that uh, dealt with the issues um, in the moment. So I think if I did know um, about the new wave of success that was coming in, that would have interfered. I do believe so. And, and now it's different. Now I'm, I'm quite thankful to be cognizant of this audience as I write now. It's actually helping okay. because they basically said, do anything you want. In fact, the more weird, the more strange, the more surprising, the better. And as a creative person, that's what you want to be sure. told. Usually it's, it's the other way around. Usually there's someone in the business side who's saying, you know, don't go too far. You know, just, you know, tighten it up. Um, but these kids are saying the opposite. And so that's granting us, you know, this beautiful permission to be free and to be curious and to be young and naive and bold and daring in the songwriting process. And, and I believe that that is really um, benefiting the music that's being written and the album that is to come. How far along are you with, with the new album? Pretty far, like, it really looks clear. Okay. And there's, you know, there's over 10 songs and okay. a title and a theme and, uh, you know, track one and, <laughs> and the last track. You know, those things to me really, really um, tell you when an album is finding itself, mm. when you have, like, 
the thematic thread and like you could hear how the album starts like you can imagine someone putting the record on or even pressing play on their phone and the first sounds of the record <laughs> to me I love that part of the conceptualization and obviously inside was very much as you mentioned kind of this purge album you had to get it out because it was very much that time so where was your mindset that's where and then you don't have to feel too much about the thematic elements on the new uh, stuff on the new uh, songs but where was your mind at? did you kind of notice because you also said you gravitate towards more sinister music and those kind of things yeah was, was it perhaps more more positive or more light-hearted in a way the, this new stuff? The, the, the new stuff, or is, the, is it in a similar vein still to... Do, do, will you always gravi gravitate towards the kind of more sinister elements of human nature? Well, I think that for whatever reason I love the sinister, I love the cynical and the, the cheeky mm. nature of, of uh, storytelling. But I feel like there needs to be its opposite somewhere present you know if you're gonna be dark lightness needs to have a role mm. in that in that story and right now these songs that are coming forward it's all about death okay and to me it's not so much bleak or grim it's like death as a symbol of life death as a reminder to live because I think that's like what death's ultimate purpose is, is to help us live more fully. Well, the, the, I listened to a lot of uh, lectures by a guy called Alan Watts, and he's yeah. a Zen guy, and, and he talks about that a lot, about not being able to enjoy the world if there's no evil and all that kind of stuff. That's it. I think, yeah, I think um, even the word paradox itself is paradoxical, hmm. because everything... Uh, Everything needs its opposite in order to be itself, in, in order to have a context. And so, yeah, death, I think, you know, culturally we, we perceive it um, imp incorrectly. You know, we put too much sadness and fear in where, whereas it should be the thing that we really think about often and connect to to help us live more presently and, and celebratorily. Well, it's definitely a, a subject that, that is very interesting and uh, worth exploring. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what you've come up with. Yeah. One last thing I want to talk about is uh, Christmas. Do you like Christmas? Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of strong feelings. Um, I think that the, the idea of people coming together and rejoicing at the end of a year and sharing in conversation and food and tradition is lovely but I think you know we as a society have set Christ Christmas up to fail a little bit there's a lot of pressure to buy um, which creates debt <laughs> which creates stress for the beginning of the year like that seems too bad and then people probably eat too much and drink too much and probably makes their their bodies feel a bit agitated and then you put them with their family, who, you know, usually are the people that trigger you. <laughs> so you don't feel too good, you're spending too much money, and then your mom and your dad and your aunts and your uncles, they're kind of making your psyche trigger. All that together 
you know, it's no surprise why people have a hard time at Christmas. No, the, the reason, obviously, I ask is uh, you have a song called Cry Christmas. Yeah. And one of my favorite uh, kind of Christmassy songs is the, is the Pogues one. Um, yeah, it's the best fairy, one. Fairy Tale of New York. Fairy Tale is the best Christmas song. But, but that's kind of a similar sentiment where, where it's more realistic. It's a little bit bleak, but that's, that's the reality for a lot of people. So, so yeah. was that kind of the intention with that song? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's too many Christmas songs that um, paint an unrealistic picture. And it, and you think about all the people that have a hard time at this time of year, it's almost like an insult for them to have to hear that music, which is so um, impossibly positive. And so I think, yeah, there was, we wanted to honor the people that struggle during this time of year with a song that speaks candidly about, you know, struggling at Christmas. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, enjoy tonight. We're, we're at the Periodista now and you're playing later on uh, in a couple hours. So uh, I hope you have a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for the chat. I loved it. Thank you.